gospel according to Mark chapter 2. Glory to you, O Lord. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. There's some interesting stuff in that reading from 1 Kings that maybe we need a little explanation on. Uh, one of the things that, that you heard is the offering of oblation. What is that? Does anybody know? Oblation. What does that mean? It's, uh, it's, so they would have several offerings in the ritual, and there might be a sin offering uh, or uh, something like that. This is the loyalty offering. So it's important that the people are trying to make a statement to which God will they be loyal at that offering of oblation. That's the time of a loyalty offering. Um, and the other thing we hear in there is indeed God. Uh, this translation is it's, it's hard to translate completely. But, but what we're after is which one is the true God? Which one is really God? So uh, you heard those words. Which one is indeed God and the, which one are we loyal to? So grace and peace to you from God, our Father in heaven, and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Just down the street from my house growing up, uh, there were a couple of really great pizza restaurants that we were loyal to. There was Dino's, which was a nice sit-down place, local favorite, dark on the inside with those good red plastic cups. You know, you know. And then that was a good one, but that was the, you know that was for fancy times. Across the street was Delulio's, which was more of that greasy, good, just takeout stuff. But uh, it was the place where us kids would ride our bikes, our skateboards, and just hang out until they kicked us out uh, to get a slice and a soda. But uh, I guess I was 10 or 11, maybe 12, when Domino's Pizza opened in our town. It was a big deal. And as part of their local advertising and promotion, they distributed these plastic cups all over the neighborhood. Did you have those here? Does anybody remember those? There were these cups to let us know Domino's was in town now, and they, it rains a lot in Florida, so you had to put them in a plastic bag, and there was a menu in there or a magnet, all the promo items. And uh, instead of like distributing them, they, they would fling them out the car window. So the car, the Domino's car, would come down the street and fling these cups along with the pizza menus into the front yards of our neighbors. And of course, to us kids, these were treasure. They were everywhere, and it soon became a contest for my friends and I to see who could collect the most. So on our bikes, we'd ride around the, and spot the plastic cups out by the roadside, and whoever had the most was the winner. But we never hung out at Domino's. It wasn't that kind of place. Of course, they were all about delivery. And the promise from this pizza chain is that you would get your pizza in 30 minutes or less, or it was free. So on the rare special occasion in our house when we'd order pizza, we'd, we'd hope that they'd show up at 31 minutes and we'd get that free pie. But they were usually reliable. Uh, and I don't know if they still make that same promise, but if you're like me, you've grown accustomed to that process. And no matter where you order from, you expect that pizza less than 30 minutes. 
and we've just grown more and more impatient. We don't want to wait for pizza, and now you can order just about anything. We got Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats and just about anything you want delivered right to your home or office with a click of a mouse or the swipe of a finger on a smartphone. When we want it, we want it now. We get impatient with God, too, at times. And we need God to show up when we call. Come on, God. It's been 30 minutes. Where are you? We need God to show up to give healing and comfort, to answer prayers, to deliver on promises, to bring justice or smite our enemies, to make us happy, make us prosperous, make us feel good. When God doesn't show up on time, or God's schedule doesn't seem to line up with ours, we can get frustrated, even angry. Where are you at when we need you? Where are you now, God? We don't like to wait, so we turn to other things. We trust in what we can see and touch and control. We trust in ourselves, our fortunes, our work, our personality, the government, the prevailing wisdom, the culture, the things we know best. We think that if we could just do something, something to save ourselves, that might be better. Last week we remembered the beginning of the Protestant Reformation and the truth that we are saved not by our own works, but by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. We want God to show up, but when God seems far off, we can lose faith. So in Israel, in the 10th century, Ahab was king. He married Jezebel, you know that name, who brought foreign gods from her home. And she and the king worshipped Baal, who was understood to be the god of thunder and lightning, storms and fertility. Baal is supposed to be the one who can control the rain. Yet there was a drought for three years. People had to do something, right? Well, while the king has his workers gather grass to feed their animals, the people are starving. The prophet Elijah shows up to call out the king, tell the people, return to the worship of the Lord. And now Elijah, he's a rough character. Uh, he's hairy, maybe a little creepy, lives outside the city. We remember John the Baptist. People thought he reminded them of Elijah. He was doing what prophets do, speaking truth, calling out the powerful ones. And at the risk of his own existence, he's the last of the prophets of the Lord. But Baal has over 450 prophets. So Elijah challenges them to see whose God will show up. They were going to find out who was indeed God. The king had already chosen a side. They were uh, worshiping Baal, and uh, the Baal prophets weren't going to convert. But Elijah was counting on God to show up in the presence of the people so that they would know who was indeed God. So they get the bull, and they build the altar and set everything up just right. And the Baal prophets, they limp around, unsteady as their walk. They called on the name of their God and nothing. No thunder, no lightning. And Elijah taunted them. Where's your God at, huh? Maybe he wandered away. Maybe he's in the bathroom. It's a rough translation. The prophets cried out, and they cut themselves and bled, and still their God didn't show up. Their God couldn't help. What kind of God was this? 
What kind of God asks you to harm yourself? What kind of God would ask you to sacrifice your health, your body, your children? Elijah had seen the people straying from the worship of the true God of Israel and continually was trying to call the people back to faith. So after these Baal prophets spend the better part of a day limping around, cutting themselves, hurting themselves, chanting, calling on their God with no results, Elijah calls the people, come close now. As he built an altar with 12 stones, remembering the 12 tribes, he recalls the story of Jacob's wrestling, where Israel received their new name. So they would know this was God's work alone and no trick. He has them put four jars of water, pour them around the offering, not once, not twice, but three times. Called on the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he asked God, make it known that their prayers were heard, that the promise would still come true. Make it known that you are here, that despite the pain of the past, the idolatry they've witnessed and participated in, that God would still bring them back to relationship into the covenant. And that's when God showed up. There was no question. The fire came down and licked up every drop of water, the, all, the whole offering, every sliver of wood, every bit of the sacrifice. And they knew who was indeed God. Oh, if it would just be like that for us. That in our time of need, we could just call on God and the fire would rain down from heaven in 30 minutes or less. And then the whole world would see, right? They would know we're no dummies. We're not wasting our time. But that our God still hears us and knows us and would believe that we all belong to the most powerful God of the universe. Wouldn't it just be easy to be a person of faith then? In a culture where people worship themselves and their kings, their wealth, their bodies, their intelligence. We would have that fire with us. And churches would just be bursting with people and completely sure that the one we worship here is indeed God. But it's not like that. Most of the time. Ever, really. We wait. We doubt. And we wonder if God hears us, if God sees us, if God cares, if God knows our needs. Because people are suffering. People are starving and people are sick. And we wonder, where is God? And our faith gets weak at times, and we seem to struggle alone. If I think of those moments in my life when I was struggling, when I needed God to show up, I think of my family and the ones who've gone before me, who were there for me, who spoke the promises of God over me, and who called to let me know they were praying for me. They embodied that love of Jesus. They incarnated that love of Jesus in my life and showed me what grace looks like. When I felt like a failure, they gave reassurance. When I needed assistance, they came through. When I was afraid, they believed in me. And we can be saints for one another, too. Reminding each other of Jesus' words, praying, praying the Psalms, singing hymns, speaking truth. So that we don't go limping around and crying out after gods that don't respond, that can't help, that don't show up. 
And we have so many saints who have gone before us and saints among us. That we don't need to put God to the test, but only to gather around the altar, remember the story, and watch God show up. God showed up at the appointed time with us in the incarnate word, our Lord Jesus. And we can call on that name above any other name. We can be sure, certain that the promises of God, the promises of our baptism, forgiveness and grace and mercy and abundant and eternal life are ours. And that the contest has already been won through the cross. God shows up here at this table, in this word, in the meal. And all those grandmas and grandpas and pastors and teachers and parents and siblings and children in the faith, they wrestled and they struggled and they believed. They were that fire that came to us to show us in their own way that God was with us, was for us, and leading us in all those moments when we needed God to show up the most. God was working through them and their faith in us to show us the goodness of the Lord. God who doesn't ask us to bleed or kill or suffer, but has welcomed us as beloved children already through the blood of Jesus. And still is ruling with the resurrected and risen Christ and sends us this fire of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for all your servants and witnesses of times past, for Abraham and Sarah, for Moses and Miriam, Deborah and Gideon and Samuel and Hannah, for Isaiah and the prophets, for Mary, mother of our Lord, Mary Magdalene, Peter and Paul, and for all the apostles, for Stephen and Phoebe, and for all the martyrs and saints in every time and in every land. In your mercy, give us as you gave them the hope of salvation, the promise of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.